Hey, what's up and happy new year. Welcome everyone to the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast, where each week, almost, I guess not each week because we just took a couple weeks off, but most weeks, we hope to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking some questions, interviewing thinkers, having some real and honest conversations about what it looks like for us to lead the next generation. I am Brett, and today I am so excited to be joined by Ashley. Hey! Charlie. Hey, friends. And Tyreek. Hey, what's going on? This is Tyreek's first episode with us. So Tyreek, tell us a little bit about yourself what you do. Yep. So I'm married. I have two kids, Tyson and Jordan. My son just turned five. I'm sad because that means he's going to start school. A little girl who's three. She's amazing. And I do youth ministry at North Point. I work for Transit, which is our middle school ministry. And it's so much fun. And at some point, Tyreek, when your daughter goes to school, you'll be a little less sad and probably a little more excited. Like, oh, yes, finally, they're all in school. <laughs> no, nope. I, I really feel like I'm going to be that dad that works from the parking lot of the school. <laughs> Like I, they'll just be like, "Oh, is Mr. Wesley in his car?" Yep, that's him on his kid on his laptop, <laughs> just typing away. I'll get used to it though, maybe. I don't the know. police officers all know you by name, right? Yeah. Like, oh no, that's just Tyreek. There's nothing to worry about. Yeah, yeah. He just misses his kids. <laughs> Should have homeschooled. <laughs> he used to be a school teacher, so he knows what goes on. You okay. know, that's true. That <laughs> I was just hard. thinking, I just met another helicopter parent, so we're good. Listen, <laughs> helicopter, helicopters unite. Yes. <laughs> No bumps and bruises. I mean, they need them, but ah, I don't like it. It's hard. Well, this this is not an episode about helicopter parents, <laughs> so we're going to transition here. Today, we're going to be talking about this idea that sometimes we kind of get in our minds, or other people put in our minds, of I'm just a youth pastor and kind of some of the other lies that go along with that. So we're going to chat. We're going to get maybe a little bit vulnerable about some of the struggle that I know that that I have felt when it comes to this idea of what, what has God called me to do and what does what does that look like and the way that that ego and our mind like just the way that all of that kind of comes in to things. So the first thing that I want to ask though is cuz we've probably all had an experience like this. So tell me one of your just a youth pastor experiences. So one of those times where where somebody else says something to you that just does not understand and get youth ministry that kind of made you feel either mad, angry, or like 10 inches tall. Like you, are you meaning like when people just call you, oh, you're a Sunday school teacher. That's what you do for a living. Oh, but you only work on Sundays, right? (laughs) Right. So, wow, you must be bored the rest of the week. (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to say, what do you do for the rest of the week? We just teach Sunday school. I definitely got that question. But they're like, is that a, is that a full-time job? Or you like, you make enough money for like everything you do yeah. or what else do you do? So yeah, I've definitely seen that before. Yeah, some of those for me would come from the kind of compliments that you tend to get are kind of backhanded compliments when they come from adults. Mm-hmm. Like I remember teaching kind of in, in in big church, you know, which I would do every now and then. And adults, like, I, th- I think they mean well. They're trying to compliment like, hey, you did a good job, but it comes out like, I didn't know you could speak to adults and mm-hmm. not just teenagers. Like yeah. what, you put multiple <laughs> sentences together in a way that communicated information in an, in an engaging way. I didn't know you could do that. I was like, when they say, oh, this is really great, but when are you, are you going to be a real pastor yeah. soon? Or, or is that what you want to do? Like, when will that happen for yeah. you? Never. Oh yeah. I've had that. Right. For sure. Definitely. My coworker at the time, he was getting ready to leave because he was going to be a real pastor. And he was like, well, I hope they take you seriously because I think people just look at you and think you're the fun person. (laughs) And I was like, well, okay. Is that a compliment? I mean, I was like, the seven in me was like, yeah, I'm fun. Right? Yeah. I don't know. 
Yeah, it always felt like you were babysitting too. Like I always felt like they or they felt like you were a babysitter, right? right? Like they was like, "Oh yeah, go 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 stand with Mr. Tyree, go over there." And they just they don't come over and say hi. It's just drop yeah. the kids off and he got you. All right, I'm out. Yeah, that would yeah. be the lowest paying nannying job in the world. Yes, yeah. <laughs> for the hours we put in, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so along that same idea of like just a youth pastor, what what are some of the other lies sometimes that we tell ourselves that that we believe or that maybe we read into things that other people are saying to us that they don't necessarily say, but that's the way that we take it. I think one thing that I've, I felt when I was a youth pastor was like, I have to be all things to all children. Mm. And I was in a really cool situation where like I was a youth pastor and I was over high school, middle school and elementary school. But the high school was really unique in that we had students that lived in a group home and then we had these students that went to like private school. So yeah. it was a really great dynamic. But my students that lived in a group home had really life issues that they had to deal with. And so I remember feeling like I have to be the answer to all these kids' yeah. problems mm. because I'm the one that's here. I'm the one that's representing Jesus in their life. And it just created this huge burden that I wasn't sure I was even meant to carry or carry it in that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's so good. What else? What are some of the other lies that we convince ourselves of sometimes? Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is it's one thing to be a youth pastor, and then it's another thing to be the middle school pastor. Because mm. it almost feels like the middle school pastor is a step down yeah. from the youth pastor or the student pastor. So it's not just like this stigma associated with students. There's this like other layer yeah. being middle school, and then a whole other layer being a female, mm. you know? And so, I mean... The whole, you know, tension of being a female in youth ministry in general, it's such a male dominated, you know, uh, field. And so really believing that you belong there yeah. and, and wondering if other people see you that way when you don't really know where they stand theologically on that. Yeah. And so wondering, do I really know what God's call is on my life? Because if uh, these other pastors are saying it's unbiblical, yeah. like, have I misunderstood that? Or is that really his call? Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. You guys, was that terrible? Because you were no, like, no. It's so, it's, it's so it's, true, though. Yeah. Like, I feel that tension always being a middle school person as well. And even though I hired the high school guys or guys, high school gals, whatever, that position, I get what you're saying that you're the middle school person. Well, do you want to move up or, mm -hmm. you know, is this where you're going to be? Mm. It's almost like you can only lead the youth ministry as a whole from like the high school position. Correct. But. Yep. Very rarely is it led from the middle school yeah. position. Yeah, there are some really interesting structural things when it comes to that in yeah. just in general in ministry and the in the ways that those that those things tend to play out. Mm -hmm. So I know one of the lies that I always struggled with kind of came from this idea that we know that we don't have an unlimited amount of time with with all of our students, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so I would always wrestle so much about trying to over communicate everything all the time, especially, especially younger in ministry. I would always, I would put so much pressure on myself. Like I would see students come in for the first time. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't know if this person's ever going to come back. Like right. how much do I need to make sure that they hear today? And it's just an, un, it's just an unfair pressure to put mm -hmm. on yourself. And really it's not a very strategic one either, but those are, those are kind of some of the lies, some of the pressures mm -hmm. that I know that I let guide probably too much of my ministry when I was younger. Yeah. I also was thinking about um, the pressure we put on ourselves where, where you teach students truths and then they make choices in life yeah. and you're like, oh, I feel like a failure or like that reflects bad on me or you know what I mean? I don't, 
it's kind of cloudy. No, but no, like you take it, like you take on yes. their decisions yeah. that you had a hand we in. We did them something wrong because right. I made a bad choice. Right, which is not true at all. No. They are human beings with uh-huh. their own yeah. individual minds. Yep. I think one thing for me that I thought it, it wasn't a long thought, but it's like there's this idea that you have to be cool to be in youth yeah. ministry, right? And so you you think that's the way you dress or the way you talk or whatever, but like cool and relevant aren't the same thing. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. when I think about the people that spoke it to me the most when I was a student, it wasn't, they weren't cool. They were people that were committed to me. They loved me and they listened to me. Yeah. And so I think that a lot, I think sometimes we go over where we're being cool, but we're not relevant because yeah. we're not committed and loving and trying to understand their world. Yeah. Chef always quotes Duffy. And I love, I love this quote that, that young people are going to, what is it? Young people are going to connect best with the oldest person in the room who takes them the most serious, something yep. along those lines. Yeah. But we, I used to always tell older people that, that when talking about youth ministry, like, yeah, I'm a little too old for that. I don't think it could ever work for me. But like, listen, they're not looking for just slightly older versions of themselves. They're just looking for people who want to be, who are authentic, who are who they are, who are truly engaged and interested in building a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Yep. I got some more for y'all. Yeah, go for it. All right. Uh, another thing that I, I struggled with when I was a youth pastor was that it had to grow fast. Mm. And so I was always like, I was always, um, I wasn't content with the kids that were there. Yeah. And I would always focus on them. Like, y'all need to invite your friends. Y'all need to bring people. Y'all need, and when they didn't, I was discouraged. And when I, when I got older, I began to realize like, okay, it's not about the size. It's about the quality of youth ministry that yeah. we're offering. Mm. And if we offer something of quality, they will want to bring their friends too. And I think that that little shift will save you a lot of like frustration oh, yeah. and feeling bad about yourself because it's like, man, I literally only have four kids today. But if you're planning and you're doing preparing for however many kids, but those four kids had an amazing time, you did what you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm, and that's, yeah. I think, taking that pressure of size off of you and realizing that like, okay, if God's put these students in front of me, I need to make the best youth ministry possible for these students to have an amazing time. Can yeah. I amen that? Yeah. yeah. Like a hundred times over. Yeah. That's Ready? so true. Ready? Go. Amen. <laughs> no, you said a hundred times. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I think another one that I've caught myself thinking many times, um, especially earlier in my career, was when, in the effort of partnering with parents feeling like I wasn't old enough to like have those kind of conversations with parents. Like I felt like, do they take me serious? Because I don't have kids. So why would they want to listen to what I say? Or why would they want to have a conversation with me about this? And so I think that because I was thinking that way, I actually shied away from some of those relationships Mm -hmm. way more than I should have as I look back on that. All right. So We've kind of shared all these things. I'm sure we could keep going around about these stories that we've either felt or kind of have been impressed on us of how we're just youth pastors. But where do you think these kind of things come from? Where do you think these thoughts come from? Where do you think these expectations come from? Why is this the issue that it is in student ministry? I think some of that comes from senior leadership in your church Mm. that you often don't have a seat at the table when you're the youth pastor. You might be the last to know everything. You're like right there with the person who, you know, cleans the floors and you <laughs> I don't know what else to say, but it, I have cleaned I the floors before. That was yeah. part of my job. But I think a lot of that is pressed upon us. And even if it's not intentional, it is very felt. Yeah. 
One of the things, too, I think, is that because we live in this social media era, like, we see other youth ministries that look like they're doing amazing things. Yeah. And our, and our little corner of the world doesn't reflect that at all, whether that's size, whether that's... Because I wasn't... I didn't start at North Point, right? And that's a huge ministry with all the lights and all those things. And I remember before I worked at North Point, I worked at another church, and we didn't have that. And I remember looking at Instagram or whatever, and I'm like, man, if we just had yeah. a bigger budget, if we just had a bigger building or whatever. Lights, smoke, Lights, smoke, anything. right. Yeah. And I think when, you, when, you're, when you're always comparing your ministry to someone else's ministry, I think that can lead to frustration. That can lead to self-doubt. That can lead to the questioning if you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Period. I think sometimes they come from conversations that are meant for the good. Like when someone asks you, like, where do you see yourself in five years? And it's almost like if you don't answer with something like a different place than where you are now, it almost looks like you're not dreamy, you're not ambitious. Mm -hmm. And it's so rare to find somebody who's like, well, I'm actually doing my dream job. Like this is exactly what I want to be doing. Um, And I think it comes also from the assumption that people assume you wouldn't want to stay there. So it's like these things that are projected on you. It's kind of like being single. People assume you don't want to stay there. Yeah. Like they don't, they assume that you're waiting in a season mm-hmm. and that you want kids and that you want to get married one day. Yeah. That's and good. it never occurs to them. And it's, it's just because of how the culture right. is mm-hmm. that you may actually want to stay right where you are yeah. on purpose. Yeah. And so sometimes the, the healthy thing is even though the reaction to those things are probably like frustration and like, were hurt a little bit. Mm-hmm. The best thing is probably just to be able to brush it off and believe the best, like, eh, like not ignorant in a mean way, but mm-hmm. like, eh, I just don't really think they fully understand what, what they're talking about. Yeah. You know, for me, I think some of it is the better I've understood the idea of call, I think that the, the healthier my inner dialogue gets with mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. I think there's so many misconceptions about this idea of, of being called a ministry, especially when we're talking about kind of you know, full-time vocational working at a church kind of ministry is that we assume that, you know, when we feel that call to ministry that God then reveals, hey, this is what you're supposed to do in ministry for the rest of your life. And for me, I got to a place where I really kind of had to hold call with open hands. And the kind of language that eventually I put to this is, wherever my gifts and my passions kind of align with my opportunities. And when I was 23, that looks a little bit different than it does when I'm, when I'm 34 years mm-hmm. old. And when I'm 44 years old, maybe it's going to look a little bit different than when I'm 34. Maybe it won't, but maybe it will. And so to me, there always has been kind of that tension of, I resent that idea that you think that what I'm doing is somehow less than yeah. mm-hmm. what what other ministries are yeah. doing. But at the same time, I know in my heart that I, like, I don't know. Like, If someone says, what do you wanna do in 10 years? The truth is the answer might be that I'm not doing something specifically in student ministry, but that has nothing to do with right. the fact that I don't think student ministry right. is, is the worthy venture there, even though that tends to be where the question originally comes from. So if that made any sense, I think a lot mm-hmm. of it for me was solved when I began to have what I would consider a, a, a healthier understanding of what, is it, what does it mean for us to answer God's call into kind of mm-hmm. this whole venture? It's good. I do think with all callings, you have to have an open hand. And I think that's kind of what you were communicating. It's like yeah. in this season of my life, it may be me with elementary school kids and we're 
doing all kind of fun games. And another season, it may be me with high school kids, and we're talking about dating and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah. But at the heart of it, it's like I want to be open with my gifts. And if I have passion for students, like that's where I'm going to be regardless of yeah. what that age looks like. Mm-hmm. And I think also there's this false belief that I think either you can hold as an individual or there's just something like in the air that we believe that you can age out of youth ministry yeah. as a youth pastor. Oh, like yeah. Once you get to a certain age, it's like you can't do this anymore. I hope and not because I think I'm getting close to that. <laughs> you yeah. don't look like it, girl. Thank you. Neither but, does Reggie uh, Joyner. I mean, he's still <laughs> doing his thing. You know what I mean? And so I think that's one of those things. I think it's a lie that we believe. Like there's Mm -hmm. a certain age where you're no longer Mm -hmm. relevant and your voice can't reach these students. And it's not true. It's about commitment and who takes these kids seriously. And I think that we can all probably look back to a conversation that we were having with someone and that was their reason for not wanting to get involved in youth ministry. But we could also all probably look back and Charlie, not not you, Charlie. It was another uh, another Charlie. Another Charlie, okay. But he's my example. Of of that guy who I mean Char- Charlie's in his early seventies at this point and he is he's just absolutely unbelievable with with students and he cares about them and he's genuine with them and he's not trying to be somebody else he's not trying to be you know thirty year old Charlie and so we probably all have those kind of people that had an impact on us that we've seen where it's like you don't like. You can't. You don't age out of this. No, I know. Uh, I worked for this nonprofit one time, and uh, the lady's name was Dr. Ann Wimberly, and she had to be in her in her seventies. And we were working with like younger high school students. So this is like freshmen, and I had never seen somebody who connected with students better than her in her seventies. Yeah, and I mean, like these young men would be upset and angry, and she had this way of like diffusing. They're like emotions that were going on in them and like the speaking to them in such a clear way that like broke them down in the most amazing way. And I think it, that's a missed opportunity if she thinks in her 70s that like, oh, I can't reach these kids because right. I'm past this age. It's like, no, like it was like they, they looked at her like she was a grandma to them. But like what she said to them, you could tell like it brought life. You could watch you watch them stand up taller when she said something to them or smile when she made them laugh. So it's, it's definitely not, like to your point, it's definitely not th- something that you age out of. It's like gifting, calling, and opportunity. Yeah. And and some of that does come down to misconceptions people have in general about youth ministry that, to be honest, youth ministry culture has not has not helped break those misconceptions. Because mm-hmm. when people think about like, I'm too young for youth ministry, what they're thinking about is like, I'm too young for lock-ins. I'm too young to get on stage and be zany. I'm too, you know, like mm-hmm. those are the kinds that they think of. Zany. And, not, and zany, right? <laughs> well done. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and they're not necessarily thinking about like, oh, I'm, I'm too old to sit in a circle with a group of ninth grade girls and have some conversations mm-hmm. about life. Like that's that's probably just not what comes to their mind. And, and some of that is is sort of on us as leaders of these ministries and helping people, you know, really understand and are we leading from the stage or are we leading from behind the scenes? All those kind of questions to me mm-hmm. kind of play into this. So what are some of the other cliches that tend to earn us this reputation sometimes where people say, oh, you're, you're just a youth pastor or when are you going to move on to, to something different? Because we have to own some of this. Yeah. So what are some of the things, maybe, maybe our own stories, but maybe just also in general in youth ministry that we could, that we could help change the, the, the perspective? Yeah. I, for me, I think it's two things that I'm thinking about. So when I, before I was in North Point, when I was at another church, um, one thing that I felt like was that the parents didn't know we were doing, but it always sounded like we were having fun. Yeah. And so it was like, all right, well, if you just have fun all day, like this isn't 
Mm-hmm. Like, all right, you, y'all just back there playing. Like, y'all really not back there learning. Y'all not yeah. back there. Like, if you just want to throw veggie tails on and throw on some Lecrae, <laughs> then cool. Like, how is that a real job? So I do think <laughs> so I do think part of that onus was on me of, like, not communicating with parents of, like, this is what we've been learning and yeah. all those other kinds of things. Yeah. One of the things that North Point that I think I've experienced is, like, I think North Point gets it. So other churches, maybe other leaders may not. And it's this idea that, like, it's a serious thing. So, like, there's strategy, there's planning, there's yeah. all these logistics. Like, there's all this, like, real brain power and real brain work that has to happen to pull this stuff off. And, like, we're very thoughtful about the things that we do to make sure that we get the mm-hmm. influence that we want to have. And I think for some people, it's like, it don't take all that. Like, go and get you some candy and go and, like, mm-hmm. the kids will sit down and be quiet and you'll watch whatever movie is that you want to yeah. watch. But it's like, no, like... There is like real work and research and yeah. stats and all these things that we use to influence how it is we do what we do. And so I think that's something that if people don't know, it just oh, looks like, oh, we just in there playing. You mm-hmm. know? And I think that goes back to letting the parents and family know what your ministry is about. I remember planning my heart and soul into like a fall retreat and parents were like, oh, I hope you had a great weekend away with the kids. And like, I've six <laughs> months been planning this yeah. retreat, what we're going to speak about, writing devotions, talking with the worship band about how we're going to connect with students. But it was just a really great weekend away. Yeah, It's defeating sometimes. Yes. Yeah. So going back to Brett's question, one of the things I thought of when you asked um, what causes these misconceptions was sometimes as youth pastors, we get into like a routine, especially if you've been in the same place for several years. And when you have like the same events, the same thing over and over, it's almost becomes like white noise to your staff, to the people on staff with you, to the parents, even to students, they know what to expect. And it's almost like you're not reinventing. Mm. And so... It does come across sometimes as lazy. I'm not saying we can't do the same things. Right. But I think that we need to work hard to continue making it better, yeah. not mm. just keeping it afloat. Yeah. Yeah. I know for me, I was I was 21 when I went into full-time ministry, which feels like a really long time ago. I didn't have any I mean, I was a pastor's kid. I did 3 years of internships. I mean, I would I was quote unquote prepared, but I didn't know what I was doing. I was 21 years old, and I have this distinct nightmare, not a memory of the first the first lock-in we did. I was there for a few months. All the kids were begging to do a lock-in. I was like, yeah, sure. We'll throw a sign up on the bulletin board. Rookie. We'll see how things, <laughs> we'll, like 34 kids sign up for the lock-in. So we get a handful of parents to show up. 150 students show up to the lock-in. And I had four parents oh that were ready <laughs> to, to, so I mean, like I was as underprepared <laughs> as possible. Wow. And so like, that was a lot of credibility. I had to spend years earning back with, with, with those parents. And some of it is just the reality of nobody's going to give a 22-year-old the senior pastor position at, at whatever church. So sometimes there is kind of this, this tension of youth ministry is just the first opportunity mm-hmm. that, most of us, that most of us get. So even if we have this calling where we feel like at some point, I feel like I do really want to be a senior pastor. I really, I really do want to do this or this outside of youth ministry. It's almost a completely different conversation to figure out, okay, but I'm 22 right now and that's not going to happen. How do I really honor mm-hmm. where I am right now and not just use this as a stepping stone, mm-hmm. but really kind of pour everything I, I can into where I am and learn what I can. But yeah, for, for me, lack of communication, which you kind of talked about earlier, and really just kind of lack of planning were two things when I was young that 
obviously gave a really bad name to student ministry in general and mine specifically. I like what you said, though, about honoring the position and where you are, because when I have coaching conversations with young youth pastors, they're mm-hmm. so quick to go to their next yeah. that they're not giving their all to the current place that they're at. Even if their next is student ministry world. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But they want to be at this different church right. or they want to do this kind of this kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. I think that's always a tension that we probably all feel. Maybe some of that is an ego thing, you know, who knows what that is, but you know, it's so easy for us to think about what's next, what's mm-hmm. the bigger thing, what's the better thing that we yep. might do eventually that it's hard to lose that easy to lose that focus. And it's a great way to lose volunteers because they see through it, you know. Yeah. We always say what volunteers really want is you to own what where you are right now, not just rent it. I mean, you know the owner renter mindset. I always use my sister and I as an example. I, she lives in this like beautiful house that she's constantly fixing up and like planting bushes and redoing the kitchen. And I live in an apartment where not there's not one thing on the wall. <laughs> like, I'm not fully <laughs> unpacked. There's nothing on the wall. Like there couldn't be more of a contrast between us. But it's because she owns this yeah. house mm-hmm. and she's making it better and she's investing in it. And I'm like, well, I'm not staying here. Right. So why would I try to make it better? I'm not putting anything into it. Yeah. And I think one of the other reasons I think we have this misconception that we don't matter is that we're not in charge. Mm -hmm. And you know that your youth ministry is directly connected to the adult service, right? And so sometimes you sit there and you're like, man, if they just do this, like we could do this. And and, But it's like, but you're not in charge. So you don't get to make those calls Mm -hmm. and you don't get to, sometimes you may have influence, but at the end of the day, someone else is making the decision for how this whole thing yeah. is working. And I think that can make you feel like, oh, I'm just a youth pastor. Like, Especially if you feel like you're not heard and your voice isn't heard, right? Because yeah. mm-hmm. yep. then it's like, well, I'm not going to make any suggestions at all because it's like, if you're not going to listen to me, okay, cool. Like, I just won't say nothing. I'm just a youth pastor. Yeah. And then we and get I'll, apathetic. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, it's almost like having two churches, right? So they have their yeah. church with adult service and I'm going to do what I do over here. Yeah. And we, we won't even have to talk. But in actuality, the two have to work together. To service the families. That's yeah. a great point. All right. So it's the beginning of a new year right now. And let's say we've got somebody listening who is really struggling with this idea of like, I just, I mean, like the way that the way that people talk about this ministry, the way that I'm kind of viewing this, just where I am right now, I just, I just don't know if what I'm doing really matters. I just don't know if it's really kind of worthwhile. Should I be doing something different? Should I be looking for a, a role where I'm working with an adult, whatever? Like, what are some encouraging things that you would say? Any of these lies that we've talked about, if somebody's really struggling through some of those, what are some encouraging things you would say to them? Um, I would say for me, like I, I remember being a student in student ministry, and I remember the lady who was basically like our small group leader. She was our youth pastor. Her name was uh, Miss Sabrina, we called her. And she's just opened up her life to us, right? And to be honest with you, as a kid under Miss Sabrina's leadership, I really don't remember anything that Miss Sabrina told me Mm. or what she said to me. But what I do remember is that she loved me, how she made me feel. She loved me. I felt heard. I felt like I had somebody I can go and talk to. And that shaped my faith. Like, Miss Sabrina's discipleship was is the reason why I work in North Point now. It's yeah. the reason why I went to seminary. It's the reason why I wanted to study religion when I went to college. Because there was an adult who took my faith, who took me knowing about my faith serious enough to show up. 
And, you know, me and Miss Sabrina don't talk anymore. And she doesn't, you know, we don't, I don't see her on a daily basis. But I can't tell my story without telling yeah. about Miss Sabrina. And so I think for the people who are in those seats, it's like if you can be committed and you do this thing with all of your heart, these students won't be able to tell their story of faith without mentioning your yeah. name. And so that's the, a huge privilege. The encouragement, it's a long game. Like it's what, a long game. <laughs> we, know, we know it's not, we, I mean, I don't know how many times I, I leave a small group conversation on a weekly basis thinking like, what did like, boy, that was a waste of time. Or like, did any of this matter this, this week at all? But we, you know, yes, I could talk about how, what we talk about each week matters in, in some ways, but really it's just that it's that relationship over, over time. It's, yeah. it's the long game. So be encouraged that how you feel on a week in week out basis is not the determining factor on the amount of influence and impact that you're having long-term in the lives of students. Absolutely. I remember leaving youth groups and driving past Kroger and thinking, I would just love to go stock shelves. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> but then the moments when the kids text you and the parents call you and they're like, I'm just seeing a big change in Johnny this week and student baptisms. I mean, it is a long game and it's so incredible to see God at work in their lives that I don't know why everybody just doesn't stay at the same church for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I don't, I really don't know that, but. I just know that when you're there and you're truly invested in the position and the kids and the families, the the payback or the big piece of that is, gosh, God changes them. Yeah. I just almost want to cry a little bit because you can see that and that's a big part of it. And so when someone says, well, you're just a youth pastor, right? Um, I don't really care anymore because yeah. I know that I've been a piece of that and I've seen God doing that. So, And, and sometimes that speaks more to the lack of adults that they had mm. pouring into their lives when yeah. they were teenagers. No Miss Sabrinas. Yeah. If, right. if, if that person never had that, then they don't, mm. then they don't know, they don't know what to equate your actual role with. Mm-hmm. They feel like it's, you feel like you don't need it. Like I'm an adult. Yeah. I didn't have it. I'm fine. Yeah. But my kids don't need that, but that's not true. Right. Like, yeah. I think those moments. And I think another thing is that like, like you said, like, Yes, it's a long game, but there's so many little moments along the way where if you pay attention, it's like, okay, they're getting it. Yeah. Like I, it's almost like being a teacher, right? Like I was a teacher for three years and it's the same type of thing. And, it's, and you're in a position where it's like you're pouring out, you're pouring out, you're pouring out. And when your cup is empty, it seems like, okay, what's the point? Okay, y'all may never learn how to add. Like what is, <laughs> what is going on? But then you get that one student who gets your, you get the homework back and it's like, he did it. Oh yeah. my gosh. Or like you're in youth group. And you're noticing that this one kid is helping stack chairs and he never did that. Or this one kid comes to you and he says, hey, me and my girlfriend are having trouble. It's like, these are your moments. Like, these are the moments that you've invested in. But if you disengage, you're going to miss those opportunities and you're going to miss the payoff. For any listener who's struggling with maybe feeling responsible for like the actions that their kids are choosing, I would say um, to remember there's a difference between what you're responsible with and what you're responsible Mm. for. And I think that was a huge lesson I had to learn because I cared so much. I cared like, I don't know if you can care too much, but I took on too much. And so I had to keep reminding myself, like, first of all, I'm not their savior. That's not what I'm here Mm -hmm. for. I'm responsible with the time I have with them, with the people I put in their life. And that's what I'm responsible with their time and and what I teach them, but I'm not responsible for ultimately the, the decisions they make yeah. in life. The other thing I'd say is if you're struggling with confidence because you feel like other people don't value what you do, um, this is something I ha- have had to work through and still work through is the, your confidence has to come from within, not from the outside. Because if your confidence 
is based on what other people think or what other people say, it, it's, it's like a constant struggle, yeah. an uphill battle. But if you can find a way to find your confidence from within, like you know you've put in the work, you know what you've done, and you don't need that to be affirmed by anyone else because you know it, yeah. then I think it, it's just a healthier mindset. And the last thing I want to say is if there's anyone listening who maybe feels discouraged being a youth pastor, like I'm just a youth pastor. If we put it in terms of the military and you think about it, like if there's a wall and the military's lined up and there's a break in the wall, they're going to send their best soldiers to the break in the wall. They're going to send their special ops teams, the military, Mm -hmm. to the break in the wall to help. And when you think about humanity lined up and you think about each generation and you look at what's happening in culture, there's a break in the wall when it comes to our teenagers in this culture. And it's okay if you want to stay in youth ministry and you want to work with teenagers for your life because we wouldn't call people who have no experience and no passion to, to... rebuild that wall. You would call the best, the most passionate, the strongest, the bravest, the most steadfast people. And I think that that's what a group of youth pastors is, regardless of what anybody else thinks. That's good. Yeah. One of my encouragements would be, I mean, we've all probably heard a lot of those statistics of the, the vast majority of people who make a decision, you know, to follow Jesus, choose to do so before the age of 18. And so in that same analogy, why would you not want your, your, your best possible people to be the one doing the influencing mm-hmm. to people that are under the age of 18? And, you know, something that I know that, that, that I talk about a lot with youth pastors is the younger, the younger we are, the better we're in an opportunity to build healthy cycles, healthy patterns, health, healthy perspectives, healthy worldviews. That's really challenging to change patterns, cycles, worldviews, perspective in a 45-year-old. Mm-hmm. And so how influential mm-hmm. is the role that we get to have with kids and with teenagers that we get to have an influence on those patterns and those cycles and those habits that they're, that they're building that are going to change the direction of the way that they have relationships, the kind of friends that they are, the kind of you know uh, parents that they might be, or the kind of teachers that they might be, or the kind of doctors they might, you know what I mean? It just, when you set those things up and we get to have a role in that. So that would be my encouragement to you is what you are doing is vastly influential in ways that we don't understand and we probably never will because it is literally going to affect the rest of the rest of their lives. Yeah. So I remember um, I remember when Charlottesville happened, mm-hmm. right? When Charlottesville happened in Virginia and we saw those people with the tiki torches and all that kind of stuff. And I remember seeing how young those yeah. white men were. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there watching the TV and I, I was like, man, whose youth group were they in? Mm. that we didn't talk about race or we didn't talk about treating people who look different than you with love and respect where they felt like this was an option. Yeah. Like where, what church were they in where they didn't feel like they belonged so they feel like this was an option. Yep. And so for the people that I'm thinking about is like, as you're in these ministries, like you really do have a say-so. Maybe not a say-so, it might be a strong word, but you can influence how these kids become adults. Yeah. And like you said, with those worldviews and those practices, because how crazy would it be if because we doubled down and said, you know what, I want to be in youth ministry, I want to be a part of shaping these young minds to be better people and be, you know, better Christians in the world that want to love people, what kind of impact that you would have? You know, I think, I can't remember if it was Andy Stanley or Reggie Joyner or someone who said, you know, they were talking about parenting and they said, 
it's not the job that you have. Sometimes the most important job that you have is going to be who, the child that you yeah. raise. And they I would probably both claim it's theirs. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I think it's the same thing for youth ministry. For youth people who work in youth ministry, it's like it's not the church that you're at or the size of it. It's it may be the student that you led. Yeah. And I think having that mindset kind of can encourage you to be like, okay, even if I'm just influencing this one student. The rest of them can still catch something because I'm, I'm going to prepare for all of them. Yeah. All right. So in our last few minutes, let's get really practical. So two questions. The first one is when it comes to the reputation that sometimes we have in youth ministry that kind of causes some of these misconceptions, what do you think we can do to begin to adjust those misconceptions? For people watching us, for people who maybe look at us and maybe be like, oh, that's just a youth pastor. Right. I think we could be more vocal about the stuff that we actually do. And not in like a braggadocious kind of way, but be like, I think one of the smartest things we can do is sit parents down and be like, hey, this is the season of life your student is in. This is what you're experiencing. Yeah. This is, and like, if the more we can cast vision for parents yeah. and we cast vision for people who may not necessarily be in the ministry and how we benefit them and how it's going to benefit them as parents and benefit their students, I think they'll begin to see us as, okay, this is something that's really important. Yep. And you're not just a youth pastor, but Bingo. like you're partnering with me as I'm trying to raise my kids. Yep. I totally agree with you about casting vision with the parents and things. Um, but I also think we could stop soaking our socks in kerosene and trying to catch what? stuff on fire as what? youth pastors. What is, what is, what um, you, did you do that a lot? I did not do that, but I, I met a youth pastor. Was that pastor a stage game? Who, um, <laughs> who can was, soak their socks in kerosene and set it on fire? He was going to have a Viking funeral for the student's sins oh. out on like a pond. And so he soaked the socks Wait in kerosene. Can we explain what a Viking funeral is? Yeah, yeah is I didn't that? know that either. They... They put all their sins on paper and they put well, it on a, this... a, a Viking funeral would be like when a Viking would die, they would kind of put him on this wooden raft, yeah. set it on fire and kind of push it out to sea. And then everything would just kind of Got it. burn. Mm -hmm. Got it. So this dude was like, I need to do that for these students' sins. It's going to be, I mean, he was in his first two weeks and it was going to be his glory moment. Yeah. Right? So he soaked Sounds his socks in kerosene. And of course he had a bow with him. Do you sure. not carry a bow with I you, don't, Brett? But, you okay. Know. And so then he launched it out into the lake and to get on the raft to poof up the sins. And he missed it? He did miss. Um, <laughs> oh. And he and it but guys, I think um thinking past and I always say think past dodgeball and pizza. Yeah. But what we do is serious and yeah. it is life changing and it's not just flaming socks. Yeah, so maybe the the whole idea is having some wise people around you, having some better discernment. Yes. Because yes, there is kind of, there is that, that fun, adventurous side of youth ministry. We love to have that fun. Is, that is absolutely great. And we need to have elements of that. Yes. But we can't be reckless. We can't be, uh, you know, we can't. Flamethrowers. Yeah, we can't be unwise when it comes to those kind of things. Yeah. Another thing I think you can do is like, you can recruit a lot of volunteers. I know one thing that, <laughs> I struggled with because we weren't the church I was at before wasn't a it wasn't a big church and one of the things I think we used as a draw was that like yo you just drop your kids off we got y'all like y'all yeah. go and enjoy church we got y'all and even when we would have events it was never like hey you guys come in and see what we're doing it was like drop your kids off we got y'all yeah and I think one of the best things you can do is create family events mm -hmm. like where it's like I'm gonna design something specifically for the whole family to participate and I think that'll be another way where people to be like oh like y'all ain't just back there you know throwing skittles at each other like y'all actually planning and <laughs> y'all actually thinking through how my family can have fun together yeah. and all these things mm -hmm. well exactly what you're talking about with the planning piece especially i think two of the lowest hanging fruits that we can do with this is that we plan better and we communicate better yes. with parents yes. i agree with everything you guys just said and on the other hand i would say like who cares if they think that 
Hmm. Like, it, you know what you do. You know what you invest. And, I mean, yes, we want to be good at what we do, but if they don't see it, that's okay. Yeah. Like, you still know what you're doing for the kingdom. So that leads to that next question that I want to jump into, the last one. So what can we do to change that inner voice? And so some of what you're saying is we just shift that perspective, mm -hmm. is that even if there are people who don't get it, is that our our measuring stick is not our reputation with other mm -hmm. people, but our measuring stick is being faithful to what God's called us to right. do. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, totally. So what else? What are some other things? How can we change that inner voice for us to, to not feel these lies? I think your relationship with God is important and you need to treasure that. And I think a lot of times in student ministry, <laughs> it's this bad to say, but I think it goes on the back burner, mm. yes. right? And being close to God and knowing his call on your life and the vision that he has for you and ministry is so important. And I think so. sometimes we get so wrapped up in volunteers and families. It's like, God, who? Right. Yeah. And we don't keep up with that part. So staying close to him. It's mm, good. I think also one thing that I, I still do is I have like a folder in my inbox that says encouragement. Mm. Yeah. So anything nice. that anything that's encouraging, it could be a text message from a parent or from a student or whatever. I screenshot it and I just drop it in that folder. And anytime that I'm feeling discouraged, like, oh, this all doesn't matter. I kind of go in back in that folder and I'm like, oh, yeah, this does matter. So it's like a healthy way of like reminding yourself that like some... It may not feel like it matters to everybody, but you are making a difference in somebody's yeah. life. And yeah. I'd say again, just because somebody says something doesn't mean it's mm -hmm. true. Yeah. You know, like what, regardless of what they think of you, it doesn't change who you are or what you're doing. And so I would just, I, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm just constantly encouraging people. I wish somebody would have said that to me yeah. way earlier. Um, and then I'd also encourage you to go to counseling. Yes. <laughs> it's very helpful. Like as you start to learn more about who you are and what strengths you have, the more confidence you can find within. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think also with that, like that same mindset of like investing, investing in yourself. Mm -hmm. I know one thing for me that helped was that like once I started reading about youth ministry and getting ideas from other stuff, it made me excited to plan. It made me excited yeah. to get in front of my students because it like the books and things made me feel like I wasn't alone. Like there's other people who are putting like time and effort and energy behind doing this well. And I think the more that we can read and, and learn from different people, the more exciting it'll be when we apply that to our students. Well, it's been awesome to be a part of, of this conversation. And I'm sure that you all have some thoughts when it comes to how to break this reputation, how to kind of break these inner thoughts that oftentimes these lies we believe. And there's a couple ways we would love for you to engage in this conversation with us. One of those is our Facebook group, which you can find the link to in the show notes at rethinkingym.org. And if you're a female listening and you work in youth ministry, we actually have a specific Facebook group yeah. for you called Rethinking Youth Ministry Women's Network. And you can find a link to that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. Tyreek, thanks for hanging out with us in your first episode. Yeah, I had so much fun. I appreciate it. All right. You guys have an awesome start to 2019 and keep those resolutions. Happy New Year. See ya. <laughs>